we, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what. You bugging ass death, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Go away. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. Now, where's the cheese? Australian one, so the uh, cheese emporium I visited Burma did not have any of your fancy French washed dry cheese very sorry to say yeah I'm not quite sure why I let you come around actually I was um, looking forward to that yeah, I probably would have had to have sold one of my twins to buy a, a block of it would I Look, it's not that bad. It's been a while since I've had it. I, I used to eat a shitload of cheese. Um, used to be, like every week, uh, we'd buy three or four different types of cheese. And I just, uh, it wasn't what made me morbidly obese, but it wasn't helping. Doesn't hurt. Uh, so, I, I just, a couple of years ago when I dropped all that weight, I also, unfortunately, dropped, my, dropped my cheese habit. So. Mm. It's funny, we were having, uh, we had a wedge the other day, I think we'd bought some for some, I don't know, some event that didn't come off, and so we, we had a bit of a, uh, it wasn't a French brie, um, it was it was some kind of French creamy cheese, but it was uh, more towards a camembert end, I think, I, I just, I can't recall which one, in, in Sydney de Mer or some, something like that. Um, so we're just having it on a Sunday afternoon with a couple of wines, and um, it was actually so oh God, it's been years since we polished up this. a quarter of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. They are easy to polish off. Anna, who you would have met coming in, she's a complete cheese fiend. Yeah. Um, poor old Thomas, her brother, loves it, but he can't eat it anymore because he's developed this lactose intolerance. Oh, so she she does her best to make up for it. Dub doubled her cheese intake overnight. She came when she was much younger, when she was like six or seven, when she asked if she, you know, she could have a toasted cheese sandwich. I thought, you know what, you're old enough to do it yourself. So go crazy. I said, go go do it yourself. And um, she ended up, she used like half a wheel of Pont Levesque or something. <laughs> she <laughs> threw it on a piece of bread. <laughs> dripping over the edges. <laughs> Just like 50 bucks worth of cheese, cheese on this though. sandwich. Inedible, of course, because... You couldn't even get to the bread. There was so much cheese on it. <laughs> Just throw the bread away at the end. That's not a bad wash drying, though. I like that one. All right, it's good. It's, um, I wouldn't normally have it with crackers as spicy as this, but unfortunately someone stole my... Uh, and the place I bought this... Of biscuits. The place I bought this cheese at, their cheapest cracker was $7 oh, a small you, packet. Let me guess. You were down at um, uh, Cawthorne Garage on... Um, Fulton Road? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay, mate. I don't mind that place because, uh, you know, they've got some nice gear. And if you tend to buy stuff on the day you're cooking it, like I do, more because I'm disorganised than, you know, that I'm obsessed with seasonal freshness. Mm. Uh, it's there. It's, it's open at 7 o'clock at night. Right. I can run down the hill and I can, I can get everything I need to put together a meal. But... Um, you you obviously pay for that convenience, but you also pay for the fact that you know, it's it's not just a Seven Eleven that's open. Yeah, and they're not stocking Seven Eleven type brands. Either. No, no. As a mate of mine went down there, I can't recall what he got. It wasn't you know it it, it wasn't truffles. Um, it was something. Oh, look, it was in a little jar. It wasn't very big at all, uh, and it was the sort of thing that you would you know you would buy normally from. Um, from Blues. Let's say it's mustard. You know, he went down to get some mustard because he was having a barbecue. Forty-seven dollars for this little thing. Oh of mustard. Yeah. yeah, it's like truffled mustard with gold leaf and unicorn horn oh, running yeah. through it. The one that used to always get me was, um, and and I, until I started making it myself because I was addicted to the stuff, was the harissa. Oh, yeah. and it's like you know, it's like a hundred bucks a kilo if you 
you know, these little tiny jars of this spice paste. Mm. And it was like seven, eight dollars. And um, it just happened that I was cooking some lamb one weekend and I didn't have any. And I thought, oh, you know, how hard could it be? <laughs> Looked it up on the web and went, I've always got those spices just hanging around. Mm. And, you just, and you just whiz it up in a food processor. It's one of the easiest things to make in the world. And I haven't bought it since. Yeah, I am. Um... I occasionally smash together a mix, like uh, curry mixes are the same. Like, yeah. It's, it's surprisingly easy to throw together all the ingredients for a really good curry paste, but people just don't do it because they think, yeah, it's too much fattening around. And I think, too, people get a little bit obsessed with um, making it exactly right. You know, like, yeah. let's make a corn. Like, I make a, what, you know, what I call a Bezos curry paste, which is mm. like, you know, cumin, coriander, chilies, lemongrass, whatever I've got sort of lying around. Comes out yellow. It makes an awesome curry. I'll tell you a really good one. Um, and God, it's such... It's it's embarrassing to admit that I make it so often because uh, it's a bullshit curry. Um, but Michelle Bridges, the personal trainer, um, you know, TV horn, has... Uh, she got that whole 12-weekly thing... Mm, yeah, I've got a couple of mates that are addicted yeah, to that. Yeah, she's, she's whipping on fatties to try and improve them. But um, there's got all these recipes that come with it. She's got all those books too. Like Anyway, what, there's, there's one recipe she's quite famous for. It's, uh, you Google it up, Michelle Bridges Chicken Penang. And I, I, I do it like once a week because it's so easy. And it's surprisingly uh, tasty. It's um, I'm guessing there's no uh, tins of coconut cream in it. No, there's not. Well, there is when I do it, but when she does it, it's like super light, um, oh, you know, super light, some sort of cream, but without any of the creamy goodness. So, yeah. you know, some kind of white liquid goes into it. With um, 15 numbers. But I just, I just use light coconut milk because life's too short. I, I haven't actually gone the full fat coconut cream, and I imagine this recipe would be awesome if you used it. You, you got... Uh, Chicken breasts, I mean, really, realistically, you should use thighs because it's nicer. But it tastes heaps better. But you do your breasts and um, and then, uh, I don't think there's any onion in it. You just, there's a bit of uh, red curry paste. You fry that up. You fry up your red curry paste in the pan and then um, you toss your chicken pieces in and then they sort of get coated and tossed around for a couple of minutes at a medium heat and then it's just... Uh, couple of tablespoons of fish sauce, some brown sugar, um, and this is the killer, a uh, couple of tablespoons of crunchy peanut butter. Oh yeah, no, no, that, that goes really well. I do that and throw that like, um, when I'm really, really lazy, I'll throw in, um, like just in the food press, like do all the dry spices, mm. just cook them up, and then I've got one of those little coffee grinders, just grind yeah. them up so I get the, the sort of, you know, hot... And then I, I get like an onion and blitz it through the food processor and then that add the dried spices and the chilies yeah. and the garlic and just sort of get this, you know, 500 grams of paste that you, um, you know, fry off and then add a bit of meat to. Yeah, I just, I'm missing something in that bloody Michelle, uh, there we go, look at that. I've, I've done this so often, <laughs> it, just, it comes like up as a search. First thing in Google. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people looking for it. Uh, and I keep missing, I missed an ingredient in there. Carson's chicken for me, there she was. There's, there's almost nothing in it, and it's just um, surprising the amount of gear that you, uh, you know, but, you know, the amount of flavour that you get in. You've got to love a recipe with a nutritional panel on the back end of it. Mm. I have to say, if you went to my computer and did that into Google, you'd get um, Ben O'Donoghue does a um, pork belly and you cook it in Coke. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen him do that. Mm. He used to be on that show. What was it? The Surfing uh, the Menu. Yeah. Mm. And then you make a paste out of tomato sauce and HP sauce and rum and horseradish and all sorts of really nice ingredients. Mm. And then marinate the sort of cooked pork overnight, and then it's so soft, like it's softer than that cheese. And then you just crisp the skin up on the barbecue to heat it through, and 
I did a great uh, pork. It wasn't even a. It wasn't even the, the final recipe. It was um, for a cassoulet a couple of years ago, and uh, this this was some regional variation on it that had um, had pork belly in it, and you had to. I, I've got to go find the the spice rub again for it because you rubbed it, left it twenty four hours, came back, and then you did it on the barbecue. Yeah. And then you threw it in, you know, chopped it up and threw it into the, the cassoulet. But it came off the barbecue uh, and just sat there for an hour or so, cooling down while I threw the rest of it together. And I had a little piece to taste. It was some of the best pork yeah. I'd ever had. And it, 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 it was just an intermediate step. It wasn't even the finished dish. But, um, you and I are on the quest to uh, find the best pork belly hmm. in the land. Even though you did give me a bum steer on... What was supposedly an awesome, it was oh, nice. It was nice pork belly, but it wasn't wasn't close to the best I've had. Well, I've been back to that place, and they've admittedly, it was yeah. Look, they've they've done something to it. Um, it's okay. It used to be awesome. You'd wonder why they would do like if you've got a signature. Yeah, places, you know, they're funny. Like, it used to be a over at um, Enateca over at. Wool and Gabbard, they used to do a burrata salad. Um, they got this, you know, the burrata, the sort of the buffalo cheese, looks yeah, yeah, like yeah, a really, really soft mozzarella, which they got from... Um, which I had half a, half a chunk of for lunch today when I went down and got that cheese. Well, these guys sourced it from some, some dude up in North Queensland. It's got some buffalo herd, mm. just awesome. And uh, the salad used to be insane. And it, used, it came with a uh, hundred-year-old balsamic and... It was like people would go nuts for this fucking salad. But they stopped serving it because a couple of other restaurants around town put it on their menu. to mimic it, yeah. And they just, well, you know, we're not doing it anymore. I just, oh, you know, that's, I, I just, it really pissed me off because I love the salad. And I just, yeah, it, it, you know, it's unusual for me to put those words one after the other. I loved the salad. And um, just because some other guys did, you know, really quite pedestrian imitations of, the original Inateca burrata salad. I, I just I don't see why. Yeah, yeah, why not just leave it on the menu? As long as yours as is still the best. A provocation to the rest of the industry. Like, oh yeah, you did your burrata salad. Yeah, nice try. This is what it's like. Well, uh, when I first got onto Twitter, it was pork belly that convinced me of the, um, you know, of the usefulness of the uh, social media platform because um, I was going to Wollongong for a. Um, a mate was representing Australia and I was asking for places to have lunch and I think Yuri tweeted me and Simon Thompson steered me to this restaurant and oh it's the pork belly there it was just amazing mm. there's a great they don't do it anymore they've changed the menu again um, but until about a week or so back Claret House over at uh, Tenerife it's a wine bar it's really nice they had what I consider to be the best value feed in Brisbane it was their slider you know, the little little hamburger. Yeah. Uh, it was like eight bucks. It was eight bucks. And you got two sliders for your eight bucks. That's and good. some um, some sweet potato chips as well. But the the little slider was actually a big chunk of pork belly with, I think, coleslaw and, you know, it was like a sourdough roll or something. Yeah. Um, Bedak was up. He came up for the play, for the falafel play. And I think uh, uh, Monster Yuppie and his wife were there, a couple other people. Anyway, I just, I said, you've got to try this fucking slider. And uh, they were all over it. Uh, we just, just in the end, just eating slider after slider. And an $8, like it, we, it was, for me, it's good enough for a full meal. You know, yeah. I'm not... Well, like, if, you, if you go to some of those burger places and get a, um, you know, a large burger, you know, they're 20, 23 bucks now. Yeah. For a burger and chips and a drink, you know. Don't know whether you're really getting that much value out of it, but uh, the uh, cheese goes well. It's nice when you come round to uh, someone's house and they have their own name brand beer. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's um. Do you, do you get a lifetime supply with having your own beer? No, mate. This will uh, the thing that that you know adds a special piquancy to uh, the beer experience is that the the old persuader is a one-time run. So um, Stone and Wood got us in. You know we. 
we say, oh, what's what we want to do? So they said, well, this, these are the buttons you push, these are the sacks of grain you tip in, you know, go stir that bat over there. And then the old persuader came out the other end a couple of months later on. And it's a limited run, they'll only ever do it once. once. And um, Have you been keeping the bottles to <coughs> stack along your shelves? Well, I was going to throw them away, but Jane said, you know, they, they've made nice decorations, you know, put flowers and stuff in them. Mm. Uh, that never occurred to me, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's um, in ten years' time when you wanted to tell someone about it, you didn't have a bottle to show them. Mm. It'd probably be um, a bit disappointing. Yeah, well, it's not. Uh, it's not a wine, so I can't keep it forever. I figure no. I'm gonna drink it. It's a nice drop. Mm. Very nice drop. Good. Heavy though. Right. They've been selling. Do they tell you? Uh, it's all. Um, the entire run is sold out, apparently. Yeah. Right. Because it was on tap as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it's all subscribed. Um, a lot of it went to collectors. Yeah, right. I didn't imagine, you know, like, who collects beer? Like, yeah, because it doesn't age it doesn't particularly care. well. No, no, they, they get it and they drink it, as far as I know. So. Um, that's, that's they're not really collectors, they're just drinkers. That's, that's a really good excuse. Yeah, I'm a collector. So uh, where's your collection? <laughs> right here, baby. Right here. Tell you about every single one I've collected. Well, it goes surprisingly well with this cheese. Like, mm. I don't. Um... Well, it's pretty. Um, it's not. I, I like washed drying cheeses, despite my absolute failure to make them. But, um, What's up with them? Why are they so hard to make? Uh, because you're dealing with multiple different types of bacteria. So, the, the white bacteria is the thing that makes your your soft cheese soft. Yeah. So it it, it eats from the sort of. Um, from the outside in, yeah. But to make a washed rind cheese, you basically dip the the cheese when it's young in hot water, kill all the white bacteria on the outside, and then start washing it. Some, you know, they wash it in beer or brandy, mm. but mostly in that red bacteria, and that red red rind forms and gives it a different flavour. But you've got sort of two bacteria constantly at war. You get it wrong and. And it, and it goes to crap. Yeah. And it's quite easy to do that. So I've had three or four goes, but yeah, no success. I made some pretty good camera bears and breeze, but but failed miserably on the on the wash rhyme. So. so where's this one from? Did you, did you um, it's Jensen's Red. It's my favourite Australian red. It's an Australian one. So. Where are they from? Where are they based? Yeah, I don't know. When I used to be an inner city dweller. Uh, we used to get this about once every two weeks from uh, Rosalie Deli. The, the, the cheese guru down there, Norris, put me onto it. It's not about deli, that Rosalie place, is it? I don't know. Uh, the, the guy that owns it, he, he is a cheese guru, you know, he really knows his stuff. Oh, yes, the Tarago River. And if I'd had time, I would have gone there and I would have been able to get you French cheese. But... Oh, that's all right. I am. Um... Actually, I had a heap of it when I was in Vietnam, of all places. Yeah, oh, um, no, that makes sense. They're yeah, ex-French colony. Yeah, yeah, and I was staying in a French hotel, uh, the Metropole. And in fact, it was the um, the cheese festival while I was on there. Nice. Um, I, should, I, think I must have tweeted up some photos, actually. So I went down for dinner the first night. I rolled in and uh, I'd just come from Perth. I'd, I'd gone over to Perth for a festival. Flew from Perth to Singapore and then jumped across to Hanoi for a bit of work. And um, I stayed in the Metropole because it just you know it just looked like a nice hotel and it's it's kind of famous. It's uh, it's actually the Hanoi Hilton. Is it the Hanoi Hilton? No, that's the actual Hilton. But a bunch of like Jane Fonda stayed there. Yeah. You know when she was under my. It's got some history and, and so on. And it's, it is a lovely hotel. But I went down to the main uh, bistro the first night because. I just, I couldn't, I've been on the road or, you know, in the air for most of the day. I couldn't be bothered. Hunting down some street food. Yeah, you know, it's just, that's always a disaster the first night you're in a, a new city. Like going out looking for street food, just yeah. forget it, mate. It's just, you're not going to find it. It'll be terrible. Just, yeah. just eat well, in your hotel. The last thing you want to do is get food poisoning on your first night. Yeah. So, um, first night we were in New York, actually. We took the kids there for about 18 months ago and um, we were staying in a really lovely hotel, The Beacon. Which is right in the middle. It's it's Upper West Side, and it's uh, it's right in the middle of um, a, a dining district, but it's one street over. And I just remember, you know, we'd flown across the continent, and we were really tired and really hungry. And Jane's like, you know, 
we got to eat. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's all right. I know this place. Like, and I lost. just yeah, we ended up eating some poxy fucking New York pizza joint full of mafioso and just terrible, terrible. You know, I, sh- I should have just ordered in and yeah, just got some burgers sent in or something. Um, but yeah, I, I went to the uh, the bistro the first night and I was thinking I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a French meal and I'm gonna have some snails. We have some cassoulet and uh, some kind of custody gear afterwards, and none of that was available. But they had two hundred and seventy fucking cheeses. Oh, <laughs> all, nice! All, and all, all French. So, like, did, did you have a uh, main meal, or did you just cracker and no, cheese? No, I just it up? I just had cheese. I I ate something. <coughs> I I just kept loading up my plate with one cheese after another. Uh, yeah, they had fondues and oh, yeah. everything you can do to a cheese. These Frenchies had done, and. Um, they had some meat laid out too. I think I grabbed they had some sausages. I grabbed the sausages, ran them around the inside <laughs> of the fondue. Um, I, uh, I did, you know, I walked. I had my Fitbit on and I, I walked everywhere in Hanoi. I was doing twenty five to 30,000 steps a day and I was doing an hour and a half in the hotel gym every morning, like really high intensity interval stuff cardio I, still I, put I put a kilo on it <laughs> I came back I was outraged there was a fair there's a fair few kilos in, uh, calories and cheese that's oh, a shocking bit of gear the old cheese eh? you just if you're going to make yourself fat that's one of the quickest ways to do it yeah well my my well A my cheese fridge has died so I'm sort of uh, yeah, I just don't have the space to make it but doing Renault's this year I just haven't made much cheese um so, you know, I normally have two kilos of feta mm. sitting in the outside fridge. We just eat feta like it's, you know, like it's, it's butter. But um, It's a great cheese to, um, just to have lying around. Yeah. Because it's incredible. It, it, with a, you get a piece of sourdough, you toast it, you smash a bit of feta into it. If the feta's been in olive oil, that's all you need because the olive oil will soften up the bread. Yeah. And then a couple of cherry tomatoes sliced up, put on top. You don't even need uh, salt for the tomatoes because the cheese itself is often so salty. salty. Well, and, um, it's beautiful. It, it's one of the, the nicest, simplest meals you can possibly have. Well, I make that sort of. I don't know whether you, it's it's like a pasta sauce, you know. Just get basil and um, basil and feta and a bit of like almost like a pesto, but you know, with more more especially when the feta starts to go a bit firm. Yeah. A bit over firm. Been in the salt too long. I mean, it's just fantastic. Make, make a bit of fresh pasta. Wipe that through. Do you make, uh, do you make halloumi? Yeah, quite. That's probably my second biggest cheese I make. So how do you do it? Like, because well, halloumi is, uh, it's not a mystery cheese, but it's, um, it's weird. So you essentially, you make a fresh cheese like a feta. Um, well, it's, it's pretty much the same process. So you make a, a very similar cheese to feta, press it, and you get like a big raw block of fresh cheese pressed and you press it yeah. um, and you press it overnight so you lose about two thirds of the, the sort of moisture out of it mm. and then you keep all the whey that you, you had from making the cheese, cut it into those slices, bring the whey up to 88 degrees, drop it in the whey and then when it floats it, it's done, you lay it on a, on a board, put a mint leaf in it, fold it over right. and salt it and that's it. So, and is it, it's, is it's, it the driving out of the moisture that allows you to fry it? Because most no, cheeses you can't fry. It's, it's like, the cooking. Right. It's that cooking, bringing it to 88 degrees changes the texture of the cheese. Mm. So. It's a great cheese, but it's another one of those um, indulgences that I can't indulge in much. Anymore. And if you ever get, like if you ever come out, I'll make, if you come out to Lantana Land, I'll make a batch of fresh halloumi, because fresh halloumi, is nothing mm. like any halloumi you've ever tasted. Instead of having that sort of squeaky, squeaky yeah. rubber, it's like, um, oh, I'm trying to think, it's, it's really soft. So instead of sort of biting into it and it's springing back, you just sort of chew through it like a sponge cake. Mm. Um, but it's still got that real halloumi flavour. Fresh halloumi is just amazing. I love it. Mm. You have to try it. So a bit of lemon juice. And it's pretty easy to make and you don't need to age it and you don't, you know, it's not a high, uh, like mozzarella's easy to get wrong. 
much as I that's that's one I, I use a lot of I'd really like to be able to get just get good at it mm. but I've had it's hard very, though isn't it because you've got to put your hands into the hot water yeah. pull it out and it's all about the, the how much you stretch it yeah um, you know it, it's it's a real it's it's an art cheese I reckon you know once you've got the art of it you, you, you're right but yeah because those those are tones they dip their hands or, or people that make it and they're dipping their hands. The water's got to be hot, not mm. just warm. It's got to be like right. 90 degree water. That's right. It's, it's sort of, just sort of boiling. Yeah. And they're just dipping their raw hands like straight into it going. But also, look, they're pulling off the knob mm. and sort of tying it up mm. in the, you know, the little knot. And um, that cheese, that'd be bloody hot, I reckon. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I ended up buying from work like these, um, they're pretty pretty thin so you could still feel the, the cheese um, but they're like you know long gloves so I could dip my hands right into mm. the into the tub and grab the cheese out um, and, and that made it I could barely tolerate it with these bloody gloves on I'm thinking <coughs> you know these guys just must have no feeling left in the tips of their fingers I'm having I'm, I'm, you know this is a disgrace to say this haven't eaten this um, you know very reasonable Jensen's red uh, I'm having uh, Lactose-free cheese this evening because we're just doing tacos for the yeah. kids, and of course Thomas can't have um, he can't have normal cheese because of the the milk, and we just Jane found this uh, lactose-free cheese which I thought was going to be utter shit, um, yeah, but, uh, but in uh, fact it's not bad. Like you, no, if you're just throwing it in with like a spicy uh, Mexican bit of meat and some chopped up tomatoes and onions the, the the cheese is getting buried in that anyway it's like using bloody Reggiano um, for your pasta yeah you just, you don't use the, the, the harder the cheese is the lower the lactose though fresh cheese has more lactose milk has the most lactose mm. but um, one of my Hershey um, uh, participants is lactose intolerant she can only really take the hard cheese that I make alright you know, she can she can deal with that, but I can't give her milk or camembert or brie. So parmesan mm. wouldn't be too bad, would it? No, it'd be very lovely. Because I, I gave, like, you can have some. I gave you some parmesan last night. I was doing, um, they, they had to go to jiu-jitsu last night. Uh, I normally feed them before they go, so it's got to be a quick meal. So normally I'll, I'll just boil some gnocchi, which is, uh, that's a minute mm. out of my day. Um, and... There's a great, uh, very, very basic tomato sauce you can do. You just you get your tin tomatoes, your pomodori, um, and you can do it with either olive oil or butter. If you're doing it with, with butter, you just like one tin of uh, Italian Roma um, and about 70 grams of butter, I think, and then you peel the outer skin off an onion, you chop it in half. You put the onion halves in there, but you don't chop them up because oh, okay. they're just to impart... Um, the, the scent, yeah, but you don't want the chunkiness. A bit like a bay leaf sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. And we just simmer that for for half an hour, or if you push for time, you just you know you <laughs> dip it for a little bit. Um, and then I, I just like you know it's it's a it's a really basic but lovely sauce, um, which you can do with olive oil if you want. But with olive oil, you got to keep stirring yeah. and you know put a bit of pepper in and stuff like that. But I um. I gave him, I, you know, just sh uh, grated a bit of grana, padano, over the top of it. And I actually held back because I thought, oh, you know, I don't want this kid throwing up later <laughs> in the evening. But, you know, if, uh, if it's a case that it's, it doesn't have that higher lactose count, then there, I can probably... There'd probably be a table somewhere on the web that shows you, like, all the cheeses and the, the percentage, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's... It's either the cooking or the aging process, but the more processed the cheese is, like the mm. more, um, you know, it's had done to it, the, the more lactose comes out of it. Okay. So I might look that up. Mm. Yeah, because it's, it's hard when you can't. So what's he on soy milk? No, no, he can, uh, he has just light milk, skim milk. Yeah. Um, he's fine, so he doesn't have a lot of it. Um, no, and no glass and a half every afternoon. No, nah, no, nah, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, he tends to the, the milk is to wet his cereal in the morning. Yeah, right? so, like you know, pick the bowl up, <laughs> slurp it down afterwards, like I used to. 
Uh, so he's not he's not like some kid who goes in an anaphylactic shock or anything, but he's yeah. You know, you, you Does it make him feel that well? Nah, nah, that's right. And it's um, he's pretty good. Like he knows to stay away from it. So, so do you do most of the the cooking at home, or do you sort of do the the quick cooking before? Oh, it's funny. You know, I was thinking about it because we were, you know, we're just gonna do these tacos tonight, which is a kid thing. You know, kids fucking love tacos. Yeah. They just they, they can't get enough of them. Um, yeah. Whereas originally, I still love tacos. You know, Jane was off today and. Um, she was saying, oh, you know, maybe we should do some chicken provencal or something. I said, oh, yeah, that'd be good. Because normally, Monday to Friday, it's just a fucking madhouse around here. Like you saw earlier today, how all the transport arrangements just yeah. fell apart. Well, one over, thing drops and, apart and then... Yeah, and the whole thing is just you get these synergistic effects flowing through your afternoon. And, uh, so normally... Especially if you took to two different schools, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and on different sides of the city too. So, yeah, there's a couple of afternoons where they're off just doing extracurricular things and then I got, you know, my own stuff I want to get on with. So a lot of the time, Monday to Friday, no, we're not, we're not doing the, you know, big fuck-off meals with lots of prep. It's, it's stuff like really simple tomato sauce with a bit of gnocchi because gnocchi takes a minute to cook. Mm. Um, and it's, also, it's one of those things that, you, you know, homemade gnocchi is lovely but vacuum-sealed store-bought gnocchi is just as good too. Yeah. And so quick, it's not funny. Sometimes so you just need... Like, that's why I, I am in love and can't understand why more people can't do a decent one, the roast chicken. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, that was one of our other options tonight, was a yeah. roast chicken. Yeah. Just, just, like, just like... You get such a good result for bugger-all effort. Yeah. And yeah. Sal, who I normally do the podcast with, has taught me this mean little trick. Because I used to make a like a flour-based gravy with it, mm. so I'd, I'd cook the chook and I'd always have you know the lemon up the bum and I'd yeah, squ- yeah got to do the lemon. Squeeze that roast lemon out, and that'd be my into the sort of wine in the bottom, and that'd be my sauce. But um, instead of adding flour and sort of thickening it that way, and then you know, um, she just adds an egg yolk. Oh, yeah. Right, so it's it's quite reduced, and add an egg yolk, and it just thickens up awesome. That's a pretty good trick. I might uh... yeah. I might give that a go. That's like, um, and if you get it right, you sort of like the first time I made it, I probably had the the, the uh, pan juices was a bit too much, mm. so it was a bit runny. So you sort of you soon figure out how much um, consistency you need in the pan juice. Add the egg, just turns into the most awesome gravy. It's like uh, traditional carbonara. Um, you know, a lot of the carbonara we eat here is this incredibly heavy, creamy-based, based, so an actual cream, like people put yeah. cream in it. There's no reason to. You just, you, you get your fettuccine or your bucatini or whatever, and you just, you crack your egg over the top of it with some, uh, some salt, some pepper, and, you know, maybe a bit of fried speck or something. Yeah. And you just, you toss that egg through. Yeah, and with a, um, bit of pan, a bit of uh, water from the... Yeah, and, the and that'll, uh, again, that's another Anateca specialty that's been on their menu for ages, and... It's very, very, uh, very low tech, um, not very chefy at all, and yet the result is it's amazing, um, beautiful. Have you read the um, the the book by the mad journalist who went to do a story on a I can't remember the guy's name, New York chef. I think it was a New York chef, and um, so he went there and and um, basically asked if he could come and work there, you know, just mm. unpaid, just to to sort of, you know get the magic I guess yeah. and got hooked on it got, uh-huh. this, this guy's an American but he's an Italian chef and he'd learnt in Italy and stuff and this this guy ended up going back doing six months in this restaurant then taking a sabbatical from his I think he was an editor at the New York Times taking a sabbatical from that going to Italy and trying to learn from the people this just completely basically changed his life over over trying to write this story about this chef. Right. Um, absolutely yeah. nuts. Okay. This bloke's nuts. It's but a book, is it? Yeah, it's a book. Okay. Sal put me onto it. Taste Tracker put me onto it. And you just read it and you go, this guy's just absolutely... I would, if his family just would have gone, you, you need yeah. to be committed. But one of, that was one of the tricks they had, was they had a, you know, this big cooker that they do all their fresh, fresh pasta in. And he said half the... Um, 
the, the thing about cooking pasta in a restaurant that you can't duplicate at home is he said all those little bits of flour that are on the pasta would go into this water. Yeah. And they use that water to make their sauces, you know. Mm. Some of it comes out with the pasta, some of it that actually, they actually ladle out and he said it's got this sort of creamy, mm. tacky yeah, it would. texture that, you know, if, you're, if you follow the recipe exactly the same and you cook the pasta, the water's still not going to have that that texture that it does in, in, a, in a restaurant. Mm. So, and um, I, I make a really cool, simple pasta with, um, what I make fresh pasta and it's just zest and juice of a lemon, a bit of grated parmesan, a little bit of olive oil, and then you lift the pasta into it. So I like try and almost yeah. try and get the water in with it. And it's just amazing with, with so little ingredients. Yeah, the yeah. The amount of flavor that it's got in it. I remember, I had that on Sardinia. Um, long time ago now it's a, it's a great um, it's a great tummy filler mm. it's, it's you know it's a pity I wish I'd known all this shit when I was a student because uh, I was always looking for cheap feeds then yeah. and there is nothing cheaper than pasta there are so many really basic bloody pasta recipes because of course you know, it's a peasant food yeah. um, in its its most primitive form so you know you get things like uh, there's a great Fisherman's pasta, which just uses all the garbage offcuts from the catch, and uh, fried bread. Um, they sort of, or, you know, they, they they sort of tear the bread up. Yeah, they love their stale bread. The Italians, yeah. yeah, and the, so you, you tear your, your half stale um, panne up, and then you you bake that, or you know maybe it even sort of just gets waved over a bloody grill or something. fire or something like that, just to really make the, the bread crumbs crunchy and then that gets scattered on the top of this thing and it it, uh, it stands in for parmesan because a lot of people can't afford parmesan, parmesan yeah. and it's um, I haven't made that for a while actually I should it's a it's one of the pasta sauces that has a bit of chilli in it just a bit of fire I probably again to cover the taste of the rotting fish, fish. that were <laughs> originally using yeah it's a, like yeah I love the like when the eggs are really flowing at home um, you know, fr fresh pasta gets a bit of a workout at our place because it's just a, it's just a great result. Mm. So you get good eggs, aren't those eggs you um you sent up about twelve months ago? Mm. So they're a bit fucking special, those eggs. Well, the the funny thing is, I've got one chook that just ha has an escape route in the pen. Can't figure out where it is can't figure out where it is and so she ranges free ranges every day whereas all the others sort of free range every third day or something like that mm. because I don't like to let them all out all the time because of the foxes and her eggs are a, a, a probably two or three shades more orange yeah. than all the others because she just eats more bugs and you know scratches around more than the others do mm. so it's a funny thing, I couldn't imagine, I, I can't imagine not having chooks now. It's just sort of one of those things that that I've had for so long now, it just seems unnatural not to have them. Yeah, I would have liked to have them here. We talked about it, but mm. um, you know, we've got two cats and a Labrador. <laughs> and more importantly, we've got this reserve down the back, so um, mm. snake-proofing it would have been you know, quite the job of work. Mm. There's heaps of places now in Brisbane that they do like um, rental chooks. <laughs> you're joking. Mm -hmm. So if you go away on holidays, you just ring up and cancel your subscription and they come and take your chooks away. And when you come back, you ring them up and go back and they bring back, you know, I guess you don't get the same yeah, chooks. But, um, you know, they, they provide the pen, they provide everything. All you have to do is feed them while you've got them. Wow. And obviously they keep, you know, that way you're always going to get chooks that lay. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, I've got the problem. I've got the cats and the dog. Like, mm. you know, bloody Sophie. You know, Labradors, uh, they, you know, they're, they're great family dogs and they're friendly and everything, but they kill birds. Mm. Like, they're, they're killing machines <laughs> when it comes to our feathered friends. Um, and the cats, of course, you know, they're just, they're raptors. <laughs> Our cats are like our cats have grown up with the chickens, so they're. But um, 
one of them got a bit of a scare from one of my chooks when he was quite small. And now he, all I have to do is walk towards him and he'll, he'll find a higher ground, hmm. which is good to know. But yeah, no, they're, they're pretty... It's when they're little that you have the problems. Carpet snakes in particular, out at my place. Baby chickens are seen as takeaways for, hmm. for carpet snakes. I saw a big... Uh, big snake the other day I was up when I was up at Noosa um, went down to the beach and they got that dog beach at Noosa uh, next to the the main one and it was all these like kids squealing and tourists freaking out and uh, so we went up and had a look and this is fucking honest to god seven eight foot long python yeah. just yeah. making its way across the track down didn't have anything in it no nah. yeah they're the ones that that he cat when we first came to um, you know we moved from inner city Red Hill, houses all around you know really up close and one of our cats was like the, you know original social cat would go around everywhere and I'd say he used to get pats and little snacks from everywhere. Mm. We've moved down, <laughs> moved down to Lantana Land and the first week, this sort of four five foot carpet snake took up residence on the on the front veranda. And this cat was like, what the hell have you brought me to? Hmm. Take me back to the bitumen. Where's the paves? Hmm. So, so I was going to ask you, because you do a fair bit of food, are you still doing the food reviewing? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. In fact, I'm, I'm um, pondering my next set of Qantas reviews, because of course, uh, quite a few of the, the high-end places in Brisbane have fallen over yeah. in the last couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, a big, big chunk of the... Um, Good food guides sort of obsolete. Yeah. Within a month. It is. Well, yeah, Ortega's a great loss. That was a, that was a brilliant restaurant. Um, yeah. Well, I saw heaps of um, foodie tweets of people going back in the last week. Mm. You know, multiple times going. Well, oh. I'm gonna eat all my favourite things. In my I know. Oh, it was. It was. It was a fucking brilliant restaurant. But I. I just. I assumed that. Uh, you know, the lease payments doubled. Yeah. Um, and they just thought, oh, bugger it. What's the point? Like, it, it's there was no there was no expense spared with that joint. It would have been incredibly expensive to staff because they had really fucking good people. And of course, you know there was a lot of them. You you were never left looking for a waiter or yeah. a sommelier or whatever. So what's what's going to happen is that is the eating scene in Brisbane going to have to move out out into the burbs to survive? Like, would somewhere like that survive at? Well, there's West different End. scenes, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's uh, the question is whether or not the city is big enough to uh, to sustain a fine dining sector. Mm. You're always going to have your shit house pub uh, steak deals. Mm. You're always going to be able to go to some fucking wretched beer barn on a Sunday. <laughs> and get some nasty, gristly bit of gear that they'll probably make you cook up yourself and they'll sell that as a novelty where in fact they're just saving themselves a, the wages of a short order cook. Um, that, that's never going away. The question is whether or not the city has enough, um, enough people in it who are willing to pay big money for high-end food like you know I, I ate at Ortega a fair bit and it always put a massive fucking hit on my credit card whenever mm. I walked out of that joint and I, but I was happy to pay it because but, it's, but was it's that like, because it, well, the food was good enough that you weren't just going in and having at, like as I tend to do simply because of budgetary constraints like one main meal like I can't I can't go in and you know get an entree yeah. main and dessert and then if it's you know wicked oh let's get the cheese platter because yeah, I had yeah. such a good night sort of thing no, that's uh, yeah. Whereas I'm because I often do it for work. Mm. I'll just spend the money. Yeah. Um, and even if the payment for the review doesn't cover the cost of the meal, it's still going to get yeah. claimed back on tax. Yeah. And, um, and and it's worth the experience if you're having a good night and the food's. Yeah, great. that's right. Like I, I I can recall. I think the last time I ate there, Paul Boylan was over from the US, so we took Paul and his family to dinner there, and it was just stunning, really just a brilliant meal yeah. and um, a magnificent food great service everyone really enjoyed themselves a great advers- advertisement for Brisbane's dining scene yeah. sort of thing but you know is the city is there an, are there enough people in the city to maintain that like you go to a place like uh, Esquire which is 
insanely good value. Like a lot of people would look at Square and go, "You gotta be fucking kidding me!" Like it's just, it's I don't even understand how that food works, and you want me to you know give him a hundred and fifty bucks. But he does and, everything from scratch, doesn't he? Yeah. Like I've heard he makes his own fish sauce. He a- does absolutely everything, and there's a there's a huge amount of super arcane technique that goes into each uh, each part of the you know the, the 12 15 uh, course menu that comes out but if you compare it with the price of eating at say Tetsuya's in mm. Sydney uh, it's incredibly cheap like I, I did a review for Tetsuya's I, I think it was the age sent me there a couple of years ago and this is a few years ago so you know the price has gone up and um, we did the we did the full degustation. It was the two of us did the full degusto, and I think we had the match wines instead. And I at the end of the night, I think I left a bill for the age of about a thousand bucks. Yeah, uh, you can go and have that's that's a fair like that's that's not, ten years ago too. Like even even double income, no kids, you'd have to be on reasonable money to warrant dropping a grand yeah. on a meal. Yeah, you would. Well, I did it because I was getting paid to do it. Yeah, that's right. So I was happy to. Um, I haven't gone back since. <laughs> but, so. but like, you know, again, it's hard for me to get up here, but Esquire is one of those places that I really, really would like to make the effort to go to. Well, make the effort. Like, maybe they'll be here five years from now, but at the moment, Who knows? that sector's in contraction. So, But does that make it more likely that those those really good ones will survive? Because or do people like, like to go to different stuff all the time, so they won't pick up that slack. No, all that that thing where you you have this in a place like Sydney and, and Melbourne, you do have a lot of people who will just go to whatever is hot. Yeah, and they're you know you can't base a long-term investment in a restaurant on that market but they're good for 12 or 18 months worth of income yeah and then you've got to have you've got people to who are going to eat reputation all the time by that stage so, you know there's a couple of places around which are not cheap to eat but they're, they're, they're great value. like I'm, I've mentioned Enotech a couple of times they've been around for a bit um, whenever I eat there I drop a pretty fucking penny um, oh. on them but happy to do so uh Across the road, you've got Crosstown, completely different type of dining. But again, you're not getting out of there cheaply. It's not fine dining, not far from it actually. Um, but what they do is really, really good and you know, they they got a charge for it. So will those places ever pop up in the burbs? No. Oh, look, fuck yeah, occasionally they do. Um, uh, Rapide was a you know a place that was definitely worth sussing out, and that was deep in the burbs. Um, Spring, I think, was in the back blocks of Tuong. Brent's over at Tuong. Yeah, yeah, I've been know, there a great reputation. Um, very, very. And good it's service. just a house, really. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I've probably eaten in more comfortable houses, to be honest. Yeah. Um, look, fine dining is not going to make it out to the burbs on mass because the burbs are the burbs they're not that easy to get to one of the things about having a CBD location is it's central yeah people will go there and walk from hotels and stuff like that yeah exactly right it's uh, you know when I travel with work I eat out Uh, it's one of the joys of travelling is Mm. being able to you know to dine out in these places you wouldn't normally go to and a lot you go to a joint like Esquire and you look around the room and assuming anyone's there on say a Wednesday night uh, chances are they don't live in Brisbane they've come yeah. from interstate it's and they've terrible. said oh you know I'm in Brizzy I've heard about this great restaurant I'm going to suss it out yeah. um, but what you need is uh, you need 70 to 80 people every night of the week who will say Esquire is a very good deal I'm going to eat there mm. and I don't know that there are enough people in the city yeah. to guarantee you that 70 or 80 covers yeah, yeah. every add, night that you're open add up Brisbane's population and ha- like probably not even Brisbane's population you really have to take the population from I don't know Tawong or Turinga 
and, and draw a circle around because Brisbane's a bloody big place. Yeah. Like I'm on the... Well, it's, it's like Sydney in the sense that there are two Sydneys. There's the bit within five kilometres of the harbour yeah. and then there's a the rest. Yeah. So global Sydney, um, you know, whenever Apple does an event, they often throw some image from Sydney. Up. Yeah. Okay, because it's, it's a recognisable city. You've got your opera house, harbour, you've got your bridge. When people overseas think of Sydney and when a lot of people in Australia think of Sydney, they're thinking of global Sydney which is not a city of three or four million people. It's a city of seven or 800,000 who live within a very short distance of the water, whether that water be um, the... uh, North Shore. The the North Shore, the beach, the harbour, whatever. But but accessible by quick public transport. Yeah. Whereas most people in Sydney don't live there. Most people in Sydney live in a long fucking way from the harbour or the beach. And you know they, they, they live very differently from the kinds of people who are hanging out at you know, Rockpool and Forty One. Forty One's even open. It's like Lantana Land. If we have friends from Brisbane come to our place, unless they're coming for lunch and someone wants to drive, then they're crashing the night because you know it's not a cab trip home. One of the things that's happening in Brizzy uh, food at the moment is. Um, the little bar scene. Uh, so the previous government changed the licensing. Yeah, the sort of so you, yeah, yeah, so you can now open up a little bar. And a lot of the little bars are doing uh, food. And they're not doing extensive menus and they're all doing what they call tapas or tapa, uh, even though it's not. And um, But it's pulling people in. And the sort of people who would have thought, I'm going to experiment and you know go somewhere like uh, Ortigo or Buffalo Club or whatever they're now they're going to go to canvas and have a white russian and you know some small food. bit of finger food and you know if they go there then uh, the high-end places have lost them yeah. for that night so and that's becoming a bigger you know and that is that that is happening there's a place that i haven't been there there's a there's a joint out at ashgrove apparently uh, i don't know the name of it but um, I've heard whispers about it at Best Bar in the City. Um, what's the guy we were talking about before? Um, ben O'Donoghue's just opened a small, yeah, much smaller place out in Anogra. Anogra? Pretty right. sure it's at Anogra, yeah. yeah. yeah look, there's places around. Um, and yeah, something you never hear of because it, it's, it's only the people who live within a couple of suburbs of them who, um, who ever find out. Yeah, that's right. There's a place well, uh, not too far away from here, maybe 15 minutes drive called Cinco. Uh, it's an Italian joint and really fucking lovely little place. But I don't know that anybody who doesn't live in this part of the south side, let alone, you know, the south side as a whole, wouldn't know anything about yeah. it. And it's good. It's great. Yeah. Authentic. Oh, it's just a proper Italian Same. trap. That's yeah. not, oh, not a trap, it's a ristorante, but... Uh, it's it's the real deal, yeah, right. um, and then you know, and then you get places like uh, Spaghetti House over in West End, which is you know, it's not an authentic European um, restaurant. It's it's an Italian restaurant in West End, Brisbane, but it's good. Yeah. Uh, if you went to you know any one of a thousand restaurants in. Rome, for instance, uh, you would have an experience quite similar, similar to what you would have going to Spaghetti House in West End. But that's, sometimes that's what you want. Sal was just in Melbourne. They went down because her, her husband's a mad Hawthorne supporter. So he went down for the semi-final. She went out with some mates. And, you know, there are 30 people. So they're like, oh, I'll take you to the new hot place, you know. That that real sort of let's go where yeah. the, the action is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sal's so like... Shit. Yeah, it, it, it never ends well, does it? I, I can recall a fucking horror night in Melbourne 20 years ago. I think I was just, just going out with Jane. We, we'd only just got together. So actually, it couldn't be 20 years ago. It must be 15 or 12 or something like that. But um, uh, it was this place over in uh, St Kilda. And a friend of ours who was one of these people who was obsessed with, you know, the surface and yeah, pretensions the, the in place to be yeah and it was the you know, it was totally the in place to be and so a bunch of us went over there and oh my fucking god it took 
It took about four hours for them to get the food out to us. Uh, they did bring drinks out in that period, but of course everyone was blasted by the time the food arrived. And it was just, you know, it wasn't as inedible as the, the charred and poisonous schnitzel I had at this wretched fucking pub the other day. But it was awful uh, in the sense that they put themselves about as a particular type of place and they had failed at every point of failure it was possible to hit. Bang, they just nailed it head on. I think we ended up, we, we were staying at uh, the Western back in the city and I'm pretty sure we went and hit a Hungry Jack's for a bacon double cheeseburger afterwards. <laughs> just because I needed some food to soak up the vast well, amount of overpriced alcohol I'd been drinking. Well, that's what sausage. There's uh, so many people there. It's just, the place is just packed. Yeah. It's just like, there's just no way. Um, you know, unless the, the staff were... And she said it had just opened. There's no way the staff and the kitchen could push good food out to yeah. everybody in that place. No, they can't. And yet, you know, you get places like uh, Becco, which is a great backstreet Italian restaurant in Melbourne. It's been around for you know, a million years. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it's or the European, which is one of my favourite Melbourne restaurants. And they just, they set themselves a very high standard a long time ago and they've yeah. never missed it since. Yeah, just hit it year after year after yeah. year. But they'd have welded on customers that'd go there sort of yeah. once a month, wouldn't they? Or once every Oh, yeah, week. totally. Like if I was in Melbourne, I'd be there all the time and probably, you know, twice the size I am now. But whenever I go to Melbourne, um, there's about three or four places that are on my list to hit. And I don't necessarily do each of them. Uh, but whenever I go down, one of them is going to get a visit and usually, mm. usually two. Yeah. Well, right, Bermo, better wrap this up. Yeah, I gotta go have my taco with the lactose free cheese, mate. <laughs> I don't know whether you can say that on a, a podcast with a name of cheesy, mate, but there you go. Is there anything you wanna plug? No, I, I sent a manuscript off the other day, but it's this weird deal where I'm writing three books at once, so it won't come out for another year or so yet. I, I do love how you pl- plug a manuscript and then we all say, look, we'll pay you some cash for an unedited yeah. version straight away. You can make a you can make a nice little side trade without your publishers knowing about it. You could look if I worked for Bain, um, the advanced reader copies would be out already. You could hit yeah, me up right. for ten bucks for it, and you'd get one. But uh, that's not how the big guys work. No, it's not. So everyone waits. Um, and obviously, you've got the got the um, what, what, what would you call it a blog anymore? Website, cheeseburger. Oh yeah, cheeseburger gothic. Yeah, look, it's a blog. I, I, I sort of run hot and cold on the burger. I again, I think no one's paying me to do this. Um, mm. What the fuck am I spending all this time on it? I, uh, earlier this year, I, I ran up the uh, the traffic to it. I was curious to see how much traffic I could generate, mm. and I, I set myself a goal of getting fifty thousand uniques a month, and it was surprisingly easy to do. Uh, in that, it wasn't complicated, mm. but it required me to be at my keyboard three hours a day minimum mm. to look for interesting material that would draw people in and get lots of retweets and lots of Facebook shares. And at the end of it, I thought, I could probably monetize this level of traffic uh, at the level of, what, seven or 800 bucks a month. Three hours a day, I could have written an ebook mm. uh, in that you, month. You, you are, um, what we need is an Australian sugar daddy like ESPN and you could turn it into the great land of Australia. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it, which, it'll which always is, be around. Australia. I'll always be yes. working on it. Um, but I've just, I made some really poor choices this year uh, <laughs> about where I invested my time. And um, so the next 12 months, it's just all going to be about the books. So mm. I'm not going to take on any uh, any low paying feature work if someone's going to offer me two dollars a word obviously I'll I'll be all over it but no I've decided the next 12 months I'm just uh, I'm just going to write a shitload of books I'll keep the burger ticking along because I having built the thing up I've now got this responsibility to the people who use it as a club mm. um, well I know I noticed when you like I was checking it a lot more when you were you know when you're banging stuff out every, and it's the same yeah. like you know, my blog traffic's just disappeared because I'm not, I'm not writing yeah. as much. 
Um, but you know, you, you, if the, as soon as the content goes up, people start coming back. Yeah. Look, in some ways, getting a, a blog up to thirty thousand hits a month is easy. You just mm. do three items a day. Yeah. And then you know that's it. The, it'll it'll ramp up just tick over. And you know, I got that you know that small army of people following me on Twitter, and um, I could I, I could send a lot of traffic through the burger, but I just have to keep reminding myself no one is paying me to do it and uh, as much fun as it is yeah and it is great fun but I got I got to write these books and you know pay school fees and, and so on so the next 12 months I'm going to be writing books I'll update the blog I'll try to do it you know four or five times a week but I'm not going to pour vast amounts of time time and energy and I know you're not on Facebook anymore, but you are on Twitter. Still yep. uh, at John Birmingham. Yep, that's me. Cool. And you can find me at the usual places, at Bezo or at Lentineland on Twitter and on the blog. Cheers, Burma. Thanks, man. We, we, we should rap about things that we like, like... Like food. That's what. You bugging ass devil, you know it. We're going to be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese-maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. <laughs> now, where's the cheese? Let's try and get Get out of bed for eating crackers. How about four beans, Mr. Taggart? I'd say you've had enough. Ah.